Uh, lastly, I want to introduce our lead pastor, Charles, who's going to be speaking this morning. So can you help me um, as Charles comes up to speak? Thank you for the applause. Maybe you should wait until after. <laughs> can you put this up a little bit? Thank you. So welcome to, this, uh, to the river on this... Uh, little bit of a gloomy Sunday, yeah? Um, oh, Mike, oh, thank you, Mike. Um, so today is an important day because we, this is the last Sunday before we wrap up our, see, even the iPad agrees, you know? We are wrap, we're wrapping up 20th anniversary giving campaign at the end of the month as we have been telling you over the past three months. We started this campaign last fall because we have to move out by end of September. We only have about eight more months uh, here. Uh, so uh, no need to feel stressed. As I said, for most of our history, we've uh, kept moving around, renting different places. We know we can handle this. Uh, how many of you are... You, have, have done this, like moving around, right? I mean, we've done this, we can do it. Um, but we did this giving campaign because the amount we can raise will determine the kind of options we can afford. Makes sense, right? And so far today, at the, towards the conclusion of our giving campaign, we have raised over $600,000. Isn't that great? Now I think you can applaud. Yeah? <laughs> Applause to yourself. I think this is a tremendous amount for a church our size. Uh, to give you some context, the last time we did a giving campaign like this was 10 years ago when we were like 10 times the current size. And at that time, we raised $2 million, which we were able to keep and able to uh, sustain the deficits we have. Uh, and that was great, right? But we raised like one-third of that with our size. So that's really great, don't you think? Yay! <laughs> I think you all gave tremendously. People in this church believe in the river. Uh, you give them generously, ranging from $20 to $200,000. And I do have to mention our sister church in Boston. They gave us $5,000. Thank you, Reservoir. Um, that's the church that we come from, uh, our mother church, so to speak. So we appreciate every dollar and every heart behind the giving. One thing, though, we had only about 40% member participation in this campaign. And we really wanted 100% participation because it matters we are in this together financially as well as in other ways. I know every member values this church and puts their heart in it. I see it from all the volunteering and everyone is really trying to pull together. But I heard that one reason for low participation is just not knowing like, exactly what to do. 
like some folks feel uneasy because unless they they feel like they can give tens of thousands of dollars it really doesn't even matter doesn't move the needle you know it's not worth it you um, can even feel like what you can actually afford to give to the church is not commensurate with how much you really value the church and so you just don't know what to do and you feel frozen that's some of the feedback we have gotten and I just want to make it very clear today is that what is meaningful to you is meaningful to us right what is meaningful is your heart your participation and for some of us $20 is meaningful right and for some others of us, even 10,000 may not be that meaningful, right? You can see such scenarios. What is meaningful is your heart. What Jesus said is, where you put your money, there your heart is. And that's what we want, the hearts. So if you can just give five bucks, that's still great. We appreciate it. We just want this sense. We are in this together, right? Amen? So that's what we value, the participation. So it's not too late. End of the month is what we said. There's still several days left. If you can even today just, you know, put down on your connection card, this is what I'm giving today for the giving campaign, and whatever you want to say to that, and just even put in five bucks, we would really, really love it, okay? Seriously, truly, we would love it. We would feel like we're in this together. So got it? Uh, thanks, everyone. Having said that, we are now going to start making decisions about what kind of place we are going to try to get for our Sunday services based on the giving we have so far because... Unless someone steps up in the next couple of days and say, hey, I'll, I'll give you a, a few million dollars. Hey, you, you don't know, right? I mean, maybe uh, you win a lottery tomorrow. Maybe uh, the bonus season goes wild and you find out tomorrow that you're just getting paid millions of dollars. Who knows, right? So we don't want to exclude such possibilities. But for now, we are going to proceed with the money we have raised and we're going to start uh, making decisions so the board members as well as staff spent many many hours already scouring dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of options already and we have some very interesting options actually that could work well and we're going to talk about it all on February 11th at the members meeting. So if you feel like this is your home church, please come to the members meeting. It'll happen after the Sunday service right here. Uh, I think we're going to have some pizza. Uh, yes, I think we'll have pizza and even child care could be provided if you tell us in advance. <laughs> right? So you need to let us know if you need childcare, okay? Just uh, that would be very helpful. We have a lot of important information to discuss together 
and talk about our future together. So I hope as many of you as possible can join us for that. All right, having said all that, I'd like to now dedicate the rest of the sermon to setting out the vision of the river for our next stage of the journey. I mean, you gave generously. It's fair to ask, what are you investing in? What are you, what can you expect to get out of being part of this church? What do we, at the leadership level, feel like is the mission and the vision of this church? Those are all natural questions that come up. Uh, and so I've thought about different ways we can express our mission. And one way to describe it is that the river exists to help you grow in healthy and life-giving relationship to yourself, to other people, and to God and reality. You may have heard this before. After all, it's the vision of the river. Uh, this is what we are aiming to provide. When you come to this church, we are hoping to be and offer you a supportive faith community with spiritual power and helpful insights to help you grow healthier and happier with who you are, with the people in your lives, and with God or reality and thereby influence the world in positive ways through changed us. Now, I have to admit that this sort of mission statement can sound too conceptual. I've heard that. That it can be a little bit short on details, right? It's just kind of like, oh yeah, it sounds great, right? And perhaps not so unique either. After all, this is based on the greatest commandment. And many churches strive to help people grow healthier and happier spiritually, emotionally. So it comes down to details, to the question of how. How do we propose to do this? And I believe we have some unique and powerful insights and culture an approach that I think you will find super helpful. Because my experience has been that we are somewhat unique or different from many other churches or religions or philosophies that matter. Uh, because they tend to focus on fixing what is wrong with us. The idea is that we all have flaws and in, in our mindsets or in our behavior or our character. And if we can get it straightened out, we'll do better. There are debates about who can do it better. Different religions and philosophies fight and debate about who's got the best insights on what will please God, what will bring you blessings, ranging from uh, power of positive thinking, type of churches to, you know, other philosophies like focusing on karma or uh, demonic activities or not enough faith. Uh, that's our problem. You know what I mean. But it all, in the end, boils down to there is something wrong. 
something that we, that's not quite right. We need to get it straightened out. And then blessings will flow, right? So in a graphic way to describe it is, I've been, I've been talking about this, this, this vertical S-curve where there's some crick. You know, it's, it's, there's a bent in our soul. There's something wrong with you. Something's not quite right. Uh, and we can use some code like the Bible or Quran or some holy text or, you know, holy underwear even, right? Something will give you some super vitamin power to get it straightened out, you know? And if we can get it straightened out, then more blessings, you go to heaven, you get multiple planets, right? Uh, uh, some, some religions tell you that you have to have multiple wives and then you can have multiple planets after you die. You know, some, some weird stuff is out there. Don't you agree? But anyway, it's all about how can we get it straightened out and then you'll have more blessings. That's what I feel like I find out there and I'm not saying that's all bad. There's good in straightening out the flaws and having positive mentality and getting more blessings and getting rich and whatever, whatever. That's all, you know, good stuff, right? I'd I rather that we are all rich, you know, because that just makes life a little easier. Uh, but that's about it. But still, here at the river, that's not what we focus on. We, we believe that the focus of the gospel is not so much about fixing what is crooked, but really more about highs and lows becoming flat. And, and we believe this because the Bible tells us that the way to receive Christ, who gets rejected even by God's own people, is to quote prophet Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord, make ready a highway for our God. Every valley must be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. That, that it's about highs coming down and lows coming up. This is not straightening out the flaws. This is flattening things out. And I believe the Bible says this because the heart of the gospel is this. That God so loved you, every single one of you, so much and so unconditionally that God declared you worth the life of God incarnate. And that is a powerful and beautiful message. Right? Don't you agree that that's the heart of the gospel? It's beautiful. And that makes nothing and everything out of all of us. So instead of obsessing about what's wrong, what are our lows, how can you raise that up, how we are sinful, using the Bible like some code to obsess over what's wrong with us, we want to focus on the gospel that lifts up everyone's dignity and worth equally which has profound implications on actual people, actual lives. You know, I had lunch with someone from the LGBTQ community this past week. He, uh, he has a very common story. He grew up in a conservative church, but he knew from his childhood that he's gay. And, and, and because of his culture and his love for family and God, and he tried very hard to date girls, try to marry a woman, you know, just because of his convictions. 
But none of it ever worked out. And I think that's because deep down he knew that they would be very destructive to himself and whoever he married. And I can tell you just, I have talked to many people who have, because of their love for God and family and faith, have gotten married and even had kids and it just all like, ended up in just terrible, terrible harm and destruction with people around, right? You can imagine how that would go after being married for 20 years and you just can't suppress yourself anymore and it just all falls apart. And that just causes like, it's just like a bomb goes off, right? It, it just causes harm on everyone all around. That's very common in LGBTQ community. But he didn't know what to do with being told that being gay is sin and condemned by God. Just a point of torment for him because he has real faith in God. He had real experiences of the Holy Spirit. His faith is real. So just put in a bind, if you can imagine. We talked about all kinds of questions and issues and Bible passages and all the stuff that people talk about. And I believe I was able to address most of his questions. And at the end, I was able to point out that there have been countless debates around different issues that the Bible talks about, ranging from women's place in society, like women should submit to men, or slavery, like slaves should obey their masters, don't rebel, even when they are really harsh to you, just stay in it. Or, you know, divorce, or LGBTQ, and there just have been countless debates on different sides of these issues. But no one can disagree that the main thrust of the Bible is agape, unconditional love. We can debate about these issues all over the place, but in the end, the greatest commandment upon which everything the Bible is built on is agape. Let me just quote you just a few verses. There are so many more, but let me just quote some. Agape yourself, agape others, and agape God. Upon this hangs every law in the Bible. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in agape. Anyone who does agape is born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not do agape does not know God, for God is agape. But these are like very definitive statements, don't you think? Everything hangs on agape. It's the only thing that matters. God is agape. This is the only criteria that will decide whether you know God or does not know God. I mean, like, ah, this is a very central issue, right? So let's, we need to talk about this. What is agape? What makes agape so special? Wikipedia says, in Christianity, agape is unconditional love. And we all know Wikipedia is straight from the heavens, right? <laughs> we can trust everything. It's inerrant. That's in Wikipedia. Well, that's a joke. So let me quote a theologian to flesh out the word agape. 
Agape love is unmotivated, unmotivated by you, unmotivated by anything to do with you. In the sense that it is not contingent on any value or worth in the object of love. Doesn't matter, it's not about you, is what he's saying. It is spontaneous and heedless, for it does not determine beforehand whether love will be effective or appropriate, appropriate even, in any particular sense. That's what is meant by unconditional. It's not about you, it's about God and God's heart. It's about God who just is so in love with you, so thinks you are so precious and valuable, it just proceeds from God's heart, not about you, okay? Not about us, not contingent on any characteristic of ours. Doesn't matter, sinner or not, whether believer or non-believer, high or low in any category, God's love proceeds towards you. God's love and regard for you does not change. This is the gospel. And if you really believe this, if the gospel clicks in your head, if you just start to really believe this, then everything can start to change. Then your focus is, becomes really about lows and highs. Because if agape is about unconditionality, then we need to stop obsessing about lows and highs. If we can embrace our lows, be kind to ourselves and others, and not get puffed up over our achievements, if we are not focused on highs and lows, then that will stop any impulse towards the deadly sins, like pride and envy. Why would you become envious if you don't even care about what's high and what's low? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, how could you get proud if that's not, if Christ is the only rock you are standing on, then none of it is going to affect you. You're going to be free because you have no motivation to obsess over those highs and lows. And that is so refreshing because if you can just stop obsessing about, oh, you know, I'm not pretty enough. I am not pretty enough, you know. <laughs> I've been told. <laughs> or I'm good enough. I'm successful. Or like I need to be successful. You know, as a parent, my parents' voice is always in the back of my head. That you are worthless unless like you perform in this way. If we can just be free of all that, ah, oh, finally you can be free to be yourself. Truly be yourself and not be enslaved to the culture or the parents or like these voices in your head that makes you put masks on, that makes you pretend you're better than you are and makes you compelled to look like you're better than you are and just climb that rat race that's so prevalent in New York City, in this city that you are living in. It's everywhere in the air. If you can just be free, 
and take a breath of fresh air. Ah, how wonderful, right? Free from what the Bible calls slavery to the laws of the Bible. Slavery to code. Slavery to some judging criteria that makes you lose yourself out of compulsions. Right? Amen? Wouldn't that be lovely? The liberating humility of the gospel. Your motivation to do well comes from seeing your own worth and just wanting to treat yourself well because you are precious in the eyes of God. So uh, how could you abuse yourself? How could you not try to, like your behavior will shift to, you know, I see worth in me, so you start to like treat yourself as, does that make sense? Such a better motivation than whipping yourself like you're a loser unless you get that. You know what I'm saying? That's just so bad. You will no longer be driven by anxieties of falling behind because you don't care what others think of you. You know, this will make you a lot more fun to be with. You know what I'm saying? You will just be a breath of fresh air. Be that person. You'll become a lot more popular, actually, ironically. You know, I, I, I love people like that who just doesn't care and could just be themselves and be free. Those people are lovely to be with, don't you think? And you will become kind and respectful towards other people. Because if you see them as worth the life of God incarnate, how could you abuse them? That just wouldn't go together, right? So all the sin goes away. The LGBTQ person I had lunch with, I was, a, I was able to affirm him of God's love and delight for him as he is because of agape mentality. That, that God's morality is not code-based. As the Bible says, agape does no harm. Therefore, it is the fulfillment of the laws of the Bible. What does that tell you? That laws of the Bible is effect-based. Does it harm? That's the criteria, not some code like holy underwear, right? Otherwise, we'll be banning rare steak and supporting slavery today if we really thought that this is the code that we have to follow, right? No, it's effect-based. And, and what causes harm? If an LGBTQ person marries, does a gay marriage, what harm does that do? I don't see any. It's the other way around. If an LGBTQ person suppresses who they are, deny who they are, put on masks, because of what they are told from the code of the Bible, and ends up marrying a person from opposite sex, I've heard countless stories of how much harm that causes. It's a violation 
towards yourself and it's sin against the people you are marrying? I mean, how could you be so heartless to do that to someone? I mean, how hard could your heart be to subject someone to such a, such a thing? And, and whoever, whatever, I mean, the conservative churches applaud those marriages. Oh, yeah, you are a hero of faith. You denied who you are and married someone from the other, uh, you know, gender. So you are righteous before God. I say that's sinful because it causes so much harm. Is it lawful to heal or kill on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to cause harm? Right? I hope you agree with me. The more we talked, the more my friend's eyes became brighter. His soul became more alive, more confident. Just being told it's okay to be who you are. I had so much fun. <laughs> just gospel is so great. It's just good news. You can be yourself. And it's just, I can see the change in people's hearts. Freedom, liberation, embracing. So much fun to be able to tell him that God is his ever faithful friend. That God is not some judge sitting up there weighing every flaw, obsessed over your highs and lows. <laughs> that God is your friend. Someone safe with whom you can talk about anything. As Jesus said, you are no longer servants. You are friends with God. It's one way to describe the difference between old and new covenant. I really hope our society can change. That we would not be so organized around who's up and who's down. Who's got more wealth. I'm straight, they're gay, they're condemned by God, they're lower than me. Women must obey men. If you're dark-skinned, I can make you a slave. You know, that kind of mentality, hierarchical mentality, I hope that goes away. Starts within us. Don't be overawed or overly humiliated by anything or anyone. The problem is we are addicted to hierarchy. We are like addicts living in a liquor store. It's everywhere. The world judges you constantly and puts you in hierarchy, even in churches. Pastors like me are on top. You know, heathens are on the bottom. But what happens if missionaries see themselves as superior to heathens? Nothing good, I tell you. Nothing good. Good deeds are good things, but without agape, nothing good comes from it. Even good stuff like spiritual power and Bible knowledge doesn't lead to good stuff without agape mentality. The Bible tells us, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have agape, I am only a resigning gong or clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have agape, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast but do not have agape, I gain nothing. I am nothing and I gain nothing even if I am the most powerful prophet able to perform miracles, able to move mountains, able to tell you what God is saying. I am still nothing, he says. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. It does not envy because it's all flat. It does not boast. It is not proud because there are no highs and lows. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking because self is not higher than others or others higher than self. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects Always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape never fails. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and agape. But the greatest of these is agape. Amen and amen and amen. So, how are we going to help you? We will do stuff like Bible knowledge, spiritual power, all the good stuff. Fine, good. But we will focus on agape. We will focus on helping us be flat. Amen? Let me pray for us. Let me pray this prayer from the book of Ephesians. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, God will strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in agape, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the agape of Christ towards you. And to know this agape that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.